Welcome to another episode of the Unreasonable Art of Living podcast. I'm your host, Gerhard Molin, currently from Helsinki. And as always, enjoy the music. Yeah, welcome back. Thank you for joining. As always, first and foremost, I hope you're doing fine wherever you are right now. And I hope you have an amazing day or week. <laughs> Glad to be back. Wow, we're going to have uh, today, it's another guest episode with my dear friend Estef. And actually, we're going to have two guest episodes in a row. So number 12 and 13 going to be both or our guest episodes. And they're both amazing guests. Very different topics. But uh, this episode, yeah, mm. Steph, we met, I think we met around six years ago, seven years ago. It was during my startup time here in Helsinki. I was part, our startup was part of the ex-EDU Accelerator and he was, I met him there. He was one of the coaches and mentors um, teaching or training startups in design thinking, but also communication, conscious communication. And Steph is such a fascinating person. Um, yeah, so rich in experience and, you know, what he has been doing in his backgrounds. He grew up in France and he's traveled and worked in so many different cultures. He worked at the IDEO design companies. Like, for those who don't know, it's like the, the biggest design firm in the world and actually company that coined the term human-centered design in the 70s, I think, if I'm not completely wrong. But not only that, he's actually very passionate about conscious communication, about... Um, conflict transformation, flow theory, conscious masculinity, and much, much more. It's like always a pleasure and so inspiring to have the honor to talk with Estef. There's always something you can learn from him, with him. And I think it's for him, yeah, every time I, all the conversations we've had over the years, there's this beautiful, or there's a symphony between each other, like there's this, yeah, creative flow going. It's, it's I love it. And yeah, before we get started, first of all, oh yeah, reminder, <laughs> very reminder, let's, ooh, let's put this, ah, again, yes, reminder, episode 14, um, gonna be an announcement, <laughs> I don't want to make it that so serious, but I just want to make have a bit of fun, <laughs> Stick with me, people. <laughs> you know, podcast live is a lonely life. I just want to have a bit of fun. <laughs> it's not that serious, but I would love to make a little game out of it. And I would love to share some books I've really enjoyed and helped me a lot. So for episode 14, the deadline is September 11th. I invite you to reach out to me. I've already a few people reached out to me. To guess what will I announce? One of the which Lumi category will which will impact? For example, will it be impact sleep, creativity, career, friends, family, love, mental health, body health? Did I forget something? Family. Ah, one of those. There are nine categories. Anyways, <laughs> which category it will impact? Guess what I want to do next. And you can be also very creative and ridiculous. Don't take it too seriously. You know, like it can be, I actually would encourage you to go really crazy. And I also invite to my close, close friends who know the answer, 
take part. I want to have the most creative and most ridiculous guess. And I will pick one or two guesses. And you can win one of the two books, Ikigai, um, a book about Ikigai, or the book The Courage to be Disliked. Fascinating book. I just finished it recently and I will talk about it in one episode. It might be even episode 14. And again, um, thank you so much for all the people who reached out to me for all the feedback and all the ratings. It's just, thank you so much. Actually, the other day for episode, was it 11, the second part of Ayaska, my mom called me. She's like, oh, this was my favorite episode. And, you know, this is enough for me. It's like, it makes me so happy if um, people reach out, even if it's just my mom. It's like that she enjoys something like that. And actually, I'm so proud of her that she understands um, yeah, everything because it's in English, of course. And yeah, so proud of her. <laughs> I'm so excited to go to Peru. And if you want to, of course, you want to continue the, the podcast, you want to help that the magical algorithms on the podcast platforms can share this podcast, uh, give it a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Or if you want to share it with a friend and you think like, oh, this could be interesting for you, amazing. And as always, yeah, as long as you come back and you find it's worth your time, that's already my biggest honor to see people coming back. All right, without further ado... An amazing episode with Estef, The Unreasonable Life of Estef Panettiere on the quest towards conscious masculinity, polarity, and healing through listening. Enjoy. Welcome, Estef. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. <laughs> you had birthday a few days ago, so happy, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's like I've had an extended birthday this week. I've had several parties and it's just, I love it. And tonight is another party. Another party. Which I will join. Well. And you turned, how was it? 43. 43. Yeah. I thought like 31. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Very generous. No, I stopped counting when I was 30. I think. Okay. <laughs> it's a good idea. SF, we've been knowing each other now. I was thinking about it. I think we met around six, seven years ago at the X Edu Accelerator. That's right. And when I met you and you did this workshop on. It was design thinking that, that around that time I was very much into design thinking. And then I learned that you were at IDEO, the biggest design firm around human-centered design. And then you started talking about your life journey so far. So you actually grew up in France and now you're in Helsinki. And there's so, so many things happened, but I found it fascinating. Would you share a bit like the key moments that got you here? So, I mean, when I, went, when I went to England the first time, I was about six, really, like as in living in England. So mm -hmm. I just kept bouncing backwards and forwards between England and France, which is why I don't have a French accent. Um, I can take it <laughs> if I need to in customer service. <laughs> if I need to get better quality service, I use the French accent. But uh, no, I usually speak because I've been going across the two. And so my, my whole life has been bouncing between cultures. Um, mm -hmm. um, at first, it was a bit, you know, this, who am I? The whole mm -hmm. ego question of who do I identify as? Am I a French person, an English person? Um, and very quickly that turned into, oh, actually, I could be both and take the best of both. So my whole work life has been also on that mirror of just um, not getting attached to an identity of like, for example, you mentioned idea and design thinking. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who, who go into that and who become mm -hmm. design thinking. They identify to that design practice and they make it almost a religion. What I've been doing is more like, very curiously exploring um, different bubbles, I call them, and taking something from them and cross-pollinating it with another. So the last time I counted, I've done 32 jobs. Wow. And I don't mean those little <laughs> jobs that you do in between. I'm talking proper jobs. Yeah. 
So when people ask me, tell me about your life, I just panic and freeze because <laughs> I think, which, which ones are those, to, which ones can I share without getting in trouble with somebody or triggering somebody, you know, but, um, you know, how, how I arrived in Finland was really simply just a, a lot of chance. I always wanted to be in the Nordic, Nordic countries. Right. And I was really attracted to the whole uh, living philosophy that seems to be from the South, very peaceful, respectful, trustworthy in the North. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know much about Finland when I came here. I came here for a job with Itala, uh, working as a designer. And then, and then I stayed and I was in the middle of big life changes with the divorce. And so it was just in terms of, it was a perfect moment to restart in the North. And then I stayed here mm -hmm. and, and the beginning of my journey here was less about work than about discovering polarity actually. Okay. rediscovering polarity which was one of the reasons why i think i divorced now if i look back is is literally just an un, unknowing uh un, unawareness mm -hmm. of how to use polarity to cultivate a long-term relationship in a healthy way so when i came to finland i made it my my mission to sort of learn about that and 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 i think that's how we also started talking initially is that the polarity topics that we had is not just about relationships at work for example in design thinking we talk about polarity when we go into the research you know go and talk to people go and understand the world um but the the same dynamics are at play at home so it, i became really interested in that and did other few jobs in finland as well but maybe you you, you wanted to to hear about the life path in terms of the more internal life path i'm assuming rather than the work life which is like the linkedin <laughs> i mean like i think there's so many ways i think there's like I think also interesting, you're the general life path, you know, growing up in France and then like hopping through the world. But then, you know, I looked up, I remember like I just had to write down some notes. I think there's so much you have learned over the last years and we're really passionate about those. You know, like it's about conscious masculinity, it's about conscious communication, conflict transformation, flow theory, design thinking, whatnot. And I think, didn't you mention you also are a trained anthropologist? Exactly. So you really are someone who, yeah, lives culture in a sense. But I think maybe when we can, now that we actually go to the life journey, let's start with your internal life journey around the topic of masculinity and femininity. And why? Because like we had one week ago, uh, we were invited to your place and you told this very beautiful story you had in France. Do you want to open up with that? I could share that actually. Yes. That's but it, just to give a little bit of context. Yep. Um, as a little boy in France, mm -hmm. I was in the south of France in a relatively macho culture, with uh, slightly blonde hair, mm -hmm. quite long. Oh, really? So I was I, I didn't know that this was a thing back in the days, but I was actually <laughs> gendered as a child. So I was often mocked for being girl like. Wow. So I, I didn't really understand what that was at the time. It was just an uncomfortable. It wasn't bullying. It wasn't physical. But it was more just like. Uh, la petite fille, la petite fille, you know, because I had long hair and I had like slightly fairer features than the mm -hmm. surrounding guys around me. So from a very young age, I, for example, you know, I'd, I'd go to the men's toilets and then the boys would just say to me, no, you need to go that way. It's the women's toilets over oh, there. Wow. That little tiny little sort of psychosocial bullying of gender. So I was very aware that what is, what is being masculine at that age is basically mm -hmm. playing football and punching people in the face. That's, that's how you can tell that it's a little boy in my school. That was the measure. It wasn't about how you behaved other than how much violence you were able to display. 
and how much you would play in the sports as opposed to wow. doing creative things. Mm -hmm. So th I was more into creativity in conversations. I was having already philosophical conversations. So <laughs> naturally I ended up talking to girls because yeah. most of the guys were playing football. So from a very young age, I was confronted with this idea of like, does that mean I'm not a man or a boy? If I like talking creatively and philosophically or spiritually, mm -hmm. sharing ghost stories instead of playing football. And so that question was in the back of my mind very, very early on. And when I traveled, I realized that it's much more complex than that because it's very culturally specific what, what you define as that. So fast forward now to what you asked, mm -hmm. which is um, uh, when, I, when I then divorced, like this is now in my 30s, um, I started a journey of understanding the sexual polarity, the sexual energies, the whole relationship the polarity in a relationship. And I obviously, you know, when you start looking into these topics, the first thing that you find if you look at history is Tantra. Mm -hmm. So I studied to be a Tantrika. I went through lots of different Tantra schools, went on a journey for that. And the story I shared was about one of the last Tantra courses I did mm -hmm. in France. And, mm -hmm. and, and the course was really just about men and women mm -hmm. who normally in, in, in many Tantra schools, it's very heteronormative, right? So it's like men and women, uh, I have been since then trained in a, in a school called Urban Tantra, which is very non-binary and mm -hmm. it, they really don't make the distinction about men and women. It's all about your energy and your polarity. But in that Tantra school, it was very much men and women and men were assumed to be more yang and women were assumed to be more ying. And it was very sort of simple and box-like. Mm -hmm. The point, would you could just explain what yin and yang mean? Yeah. Thank you. So in, in that sense, when I use the word yin and yang, instead of using the masculine energy and the feminine energy, I prefer to use... The, the Asian label of yin and yang, which makes it more accurate because a man, somebody who identifies as a man, and I'm talking not just the biological gender, I'm also talking about the social construct here, as well as the sexual uh, dimension that we bring generally into it. Um, a, a, a man, somebody who identifies as a man, can be taking a yin energy and a yang energy. They're both mm -hmm. independent from gender. But people in the West often equate yin to feminine and yang to masculine. So that becomes problematic because that oversimplification closes a lot of doors mm -hmm. into people's relationships and personal practices. So I prefer to use yin and yang, even though a lot of people shortcut that and say masculine and feminine. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by yang, uh, I did a little dictionary for myself the <laughs> other day, is essentially think of yang as when you're full, you, it's the part of you that gets fulfilled by freedom. Mm -hmm. The yin is the part of you that gets fulfilled by love. You know, John Lennon, all we need is love. Mm -hmm. right? uh, but the fulfillment through freedom is that energy that I play with when I dress up as a Viking and I play that, you know, let's go and, <laughs> let's go and cross the ocean and metaphorically take our hero's journey. That search for freedom and gotcha. fulfillment is the yang energy. So yin and yang are complementary and we both have inside of ourselves, those two polarities, up to us how we cultivate it. So this, this Tantra course was basically about the, um, the polarity. And um, normally what happens is that all these courses are mixed. So the men and women come together and they, they work on different levels of the chakras. So you might have one that's focused more on intimacy, the other one more on ego and so on. But the last course generally for the guys is the men only Tantra because mm -hmm. the guys are so terrified of each other that they'll, dis they'll do anything to avoid going to that one. They like leave it to the last minute. And then when they can't postpone it and they go, okay, we've done all the other courses, let's go to the men's Tantra. And so you get these guys who've been through six or seven courses, you know, they're kind of Jedis. They've already done their personal work. They've done their therapy. They've done their trauma setting. And they arrive and they're, they're quite vulnerable. Whereas the women who are in the same village in the same space, but in a different part of the village, they're also just with women, but they often come in there first mm -hmm. because they're so afraid of men generally, if I'm, if I'm mm -hmm. simplifying, mm -hmm. that they would want to go to the women's comfortable 
tantra, which is really, you know, I go there first. Mm -hmm. So you had a very asymmetrical group to start with, where the women who were very, they just joined a tantra world and they're sort of full of trauma and there's a mm -hmm. lot of emotional tension. And the men are there like they've grounded themselves. So it was a really interesting mix of people. And that course, um, I'm not going to give all the details here because it would be too long of to story tell, but the, the whole essence was it. We were tasked for three days to design a ritual of forgiveness on behalf of all of men, mm -hmm. so the patriarchy symbolically, uh, asking forgiveness to women. While the women were doing the same the other way. Wow. The women were asking, they were preparing a ritual to ask forgiveness on behalf of all women towards men. And it was a gender harmonizing ritual. And for me, that was a completely new concept. At the time, I was very, very aware of the, the dark side of the masculine. Absolutely. The patriarchy's many's evils labeling and the problems and we all know those mm -hmm. but well at least you and i have had many conversations about them but um it was a completely new idea that the women would be asking forgiveness and that was i think one of the most powerful of this ritual is that we actually all went through that process um bringing something to the table and getting something very powerful out it was probably one of the most transformational wow. experiences i've had and just as a concept i think just two two things i was like maybe at that point, would you just like elaborate just in the term of Tantra? Because I think at that point, maybe some listeners, if you think about Tantra and it's like, all they think of is just like weird sex things. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, and I think also in the West, we have a very skewed view of Tantra. Yes. Tantra is a label that has often been attributed to the Asian Tantra schools mm -hmm. of India, but there's also African Tantra. Think of Tantra as basically the art, a very ancient art of connecting. Mm, yep. And when I say connecting, I'm talking about multiple levels of connection, not just the erotic connection. If we go from the bottom up, it's the, the connection of security and mm -hmm. storage the Greek level, I'm using the Greek labels because they're more complete than the British labels. So storage, that's, you connect on the storage level of, you know, familiar love. Then you have the erotic connection of Eros, mm -hmm. which is what most people associate with Tantra and they often confuse it with Kama Sutra, mm -hmm. um, which has nothing <laughs> to do with it. But it's, Tantra is really just a practice of mindful and spiritual connection Beautiful. with another being. Yeah. And often what we think of is the physical, because we have a very high taboo around sexuality, But um, that's really not the point. The point is learning how to connect authentically, vulnerably, and multi-leveled with another person. Mm -hmm. So it can be from the heart, from the mind, mm -hmm. from the creative centers, from the pragmatic centers, from the spiritual connection. And it, you could have a tantric moment where the two people are just eye-gazing and connecting deeply at the soul level. And you can have a tantric moment where there's actual sex. It really doesn't matter that... The, the, one of the key things that differentiates Tantra from other um, relationship connection practices is letting go of the need to perform, mm. to please the other, to be in that state. Like, you know, a lot of guys I know basically are just performing. They're, mm -hmm. they're pleasing their partner, but they're mm -hmm. never really authentically present to connect and receive as well. So Tantra is about both giving and receiving and being able to hold that space for each other to actually grow and not being in, in a sort of transactional relation where you give and take It's really just, I'm present and I hold space. You're present, you hold space. And I often people say things like, I see the divine in you, like in Avatar, you know, when they say, yes, not absolutely. I love you, but I see you. Mm -hmm. You see the person mm -hmm. and you, you sort of worship the person's divine. So even if they're being in a difficult day, you know, you might have a person in front of you, you feel like, ah, oh, they're, they're, they're pissing me off or whatever you actually still choose to connect with the divine in that person. And I think that's one of the most beautiful things that, 
you know, in traditional relationships, we often forget because we're in the mundane that there is a divine being in front of us. So it's mm -hmm. a spiritual practice of connection first and foremost. I just get goosebumps just by saying like this, I see you. It's like, yeah, I see the divine. And um, I remember the first introductory Tantra I actually participated, which you hosted. And there was nothing, there was nothing sexual, no sexual things at all. It was just like connecting and a very different practices. It was beautiful. It was absolutely fantastic. So thank you for elaborating on this. You're welcome. So going back to this event you had where this experience where women apologize to men in the name of all the women out there, it must have been quite a surprise for most men in that room. Mm. Do you remember, could you give some examples what they were apologizing for? Well, to be fair, I, I wanted to start also mm -hmm. from from what the idea of apology even yes. means, because yes. the idea of apologizing is often associated with having done something wrong, mm -hmm. which is 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 exactly how society is currently labeling that whole gender problem. Is that um, as a man, when I started looking into you know the, the society level of it, I started to feel that shit. You know, I'm a man. I I don't want to be one of these evil people that's that's the cause of the whole world's problems. I'd rather be on the woman's side, but I can't because I don't really feel like a woman. I don't want to change gender and I identify as a man and I'm quite happy to be as mm -hmm. a man. So the first thing that came is this idea of self-forgiveness of being mm -hmm. who you are. Mm -hmm. So in the ritual, of course, what's visible is people asking forgiveness to each other symbolically. Mm -hmm. But I think the underlying dimension to this is self-love, self-compassion. The Greeks call it philautia or self-forgiveness. The idea that I'm okay as I am, I can turn up. So in the context of this ritual, if, if, if I remember bits and pieces, probably inaccurately from what happened, um, it's just more of a reflection of my own past ego triggers and trauma than what actually happened, just as a disclaimer. Yep. But one of the examples would be that um, one of the women was, was saying that on behalf of all the mothers who out of desire to be loving for their sons, mm -hmm would stifle you with their love and hold you back and, and not recognize your need to go out and be free, I ask you forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That was one that I thought was really powerful. A lot of men around me were crying when that was shared because they, they, they realized in the South, we have this in Latin mothers who are very you know, loving, but mm -hmm. also quite suffocating, mm -hmm. you know, who, who, who use sometimes passive aggressive tactics to guilt trip you and make you stay close to them rather than celebrate your freedom and go out there and do your mission in the world. That was one. Wow. And then of course, I mean, we probably are more familiar what people could now think about what men ask forgiveness for, but could you also give some example to just highlight both sides? Thank you. Yeah. I think, I think, I think a lot of people who, who listen to this were thinking first, that's the first thing that would be intuitively shared is okay. On behalf of men, um, I ask forgiveness for all the times that my, my my fire my passion my my aggression and even my joy mm -hmm. and enthusiasm has been understood as violent aggression towards you and mm -hmm. has even been lived obviously that the whole being seen as the aggressor the oppressor the dominating gender uh there's a lot to be forgiven there's a lot to be harmonized there but one of the most surprising was mm, the complicit role that women have in the current patriarchal setup. Mm. So what do you mean by that? That it's one thing to say that men are responsible for it and that men have been the oppressors. But I think there's, there's, a, there's a sort of, whenever things are not spoken, there is this tacit 
kind of collective agreement that both men and women are, are um, complicit to. They're basically reinforcing the same patterns of behavior um, where we are constantly reminded that, you know, we, we want to be vulnerable men, right? You, you watch Brené Brown on TED and you go, wow, it's, it's beautiful to be vulnerable. It's a form of strength. But if you are being vulnerable and then you're told that you need to be the one giving direction and being secure, then how do you celebrate mm. vulnerability if you're mm -hmm. not received in your vulnerability? So I think one of the big surprises for me was, was the amount of men who were genuinely wanting to do their work in terms of emotional expression, emotional awareness, emotional maturity, being vulnerable, being in that what I would call their ying, but when they do turn up in their ying, being told kind of that that's not okay. Wow, yeah. So that was one of the big surprises for me is that well, if we do want to do gender harmonization, there's also a role for women to play in being able to actually hold that transformation and be okay when the so-called dominant gender is then able to sometimes be vulnerable and not know what it wants and be also in that state of, I don't know, mm -hmm. a state Absolutely. of chaos. Oh, there's two, I think there's two ways we're going to go there. I think one, so there's two ways. Either we go direct to the conscious masculine or we go to the polarity, what actually means true polarity. Because what you just mentioned resonated very strongly with me, where like to understand, like to sometimes, okay, I'm a, I'm a man. In this situation, yang is more asked of me, but sometimes the yin is asked of me. So what, what do you feel right now? Should we go straight to the conscious masculine or should look into polarity itself? I would, I would like to suggest that we do both, but we yes. start from the masculine and then detach from that and then go to the polarity. Let's do that. Because the... the The masculine is just an ego level. Mm -hmm. It's just an identification. When I use the word ego, I don't mean it in a negative way. Mm -hmm. I mean it in a neutral, like think of it as our identity. Um, so I can identify to a man. I can identify to whatever. Uh, I can, uh, to a particular body or, or a skill. It doesn't really matter what level of ego I determine. The problem is not the ego. The problem is how do I dance with that ego? How do I detach? So if I take the metaphor of ego as a vehicle, mm -hmm. It's not how the vehicle is. If it's a good, bad vehicle, it's actually about how I drive it. And particularly when I go home, do I drive the car into the garage and leave it? Or do I take pictures in front of the car with Instagram and show that I am the car, mm. the vehicle? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when we think about masculine energy, what I always like to think first is that it's just a vehicle. Mm -hmm. And as long as we're free from that vehicle, that we can park that vehicle into the garage and step away from it, put the keys in the basket and go home and be free from that ego, generally through humor, self-deprecating mm -hmm. humor, not ironic humor, then, then that ego becomes a vehicle that's very useful. It takes us from A to B safely. But when that vehicle starts to be confused with who I actually am, mm -hmm. and I remember that I'm coming from a tantric perspective where we are more than a body. We are a physical and a spiritual being. So if we identify to more than that ego body, then it's really quite meaningless to say I'm a man or I'm a woman, I'm, I'm big or I'm small. It doesn't really matter. What matters is the polarity beneath it mm -hmm. that's where that determines the playground. So all that to say that let's talk about masculine, but I'm coming in it semantically from the idea that we can detach from that layer of ego and that let's play with the idea that we're not masculine, feminine, or we're just non-binary, let's mm -hmm. say. Um, then what comes out is the underlying polarity that is usually associated with masculine and feminine, like yin and yang. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where it's really interesting because in that polarity, we can do a lot 
uh, when we are free from that ego level of I am, because if I think I am a man or masculine in my energy and essence, then I'm going to always privilege the polarity postures that are traditionally associated with that gender. Mm-hmm. And so I'm kind of trapping myself in a, in a layer of spiritual ego, which you see a lot in these <laughs> personal development courses and tantra schools. You get these these humongous spiritual egos that replace the physical ego, but it's just another layer of ego. Yeah. So I'd rather step away from the whole ego game and go, let's talk about the polarity, which any human can tap into, regardless of gender, masculine, feminine, non-binary, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that uh, reminds me of maybe a personal anecdote. I called you a few days ago and asked you for advice about like, hey, there's this situation, like it was much expected about like the masculine being the provider in a materialistic point mm-hmm. of view and I ask you about like what's your point how do you understand it and I really loved how you kind of asked me like are you are you talking from a gender perspective or the energies yeah and how would you describe that you know the energy perspective what do we have within, within us you also showed me a beautiful graphic about yin and yang so to say so what does it really mean? If someone you know listens to this right now, it's like okay, polarity, yin yang, masculine energy. What does it really mean in my daily life? How can I identify this? And how can I in you know like identify this in my relationship? Not just romantic, but also like between friends. Mm. I was just in my mind there was mm-hmm. popping back the picture you showed me from your ayahuasca ceremony yes. with the with the twirls, the the blue and yes. the the red light twirling up. I think that's we'll come back to that in a second, but Let's, let's say that those two energies are not fighting. Mm-hmm. They're not conflicting. They're more like harmonizing. So let's take the metaphor of a guitar string where the string is not tense because it's, it's doing something bad. It's a tension that creates a sound. And that sound can be, with other sounds, harmonious. Mm-hmm. So we could construe the tension between those two polarities as a harmonious tension. So I started mapping that out a few years ago. I, did a, I, did a, I made myself a cheat sheet, like a polarity dictionary, Because in conversations, it's often very apparent that we're thinking and approaching a problem in a very, very different way. So one of the most tangibles is this idea of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. That When you're in in the the yin posture, the the yin energy, let's call it, the the fulfillment comes from love. Mm -hmm. One just wants to be loved. Be loved, love and be loved. Um, And when we're in the yang posture the fulfillment comes from the freedom and generally associated with creativity. Mm -hmm. And if you think back down to relationship agreements, like a traditional marriage, it's really just regulating freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've not really read that many relationship agreements that regulate the love. It's like, you're not going to love Mondays and Tuesdays. And it's more (laughs) down. We're going to lock down the freedom and say, the freedom is only possible on this, but not on that. You can be free to do this, but you're not free to sleep with other people, for example. That is traditionally how we see a relationship agreement. So down to the very fundamentals of how we build relationship agreements today, it's, it's, it's not equal. It's not at all balanced on the polarity. It's very much in favor of the yin polarity, mm-hmm. even though some would say that it's more in favor of the of the yang and mm-hmm. traditionally called the masculine. It's not, actually. It's it's only regulating the freedom. Mm, okay. So that's a really concrete one. Another one example would be um, in terms of trust building. Mm-hmm. Trust is a fundamental for human interaction. So trust in a yin perspective and a yang perspective is completely different. In the in the yang perspective, trust is earned through time proof. Mm-hmm. So nine times out of ten I I am on time. 
So you can assume that I'm trustworthy with my timing. Mm -hmm. That's the yang approach to time. The yin approach is right now, do I trust? Do I feel trust? If I don't feel trust, there's no trust. Even if nine times out of 10, there was worth <laughs> trusting. So that creates a huge amount of tension. If people don't understand that they're coming at it from two different mm -hmm. mindsets, they can label that as cultural differences, personality differences, or, or just simply misunderstandings. Yeah, this is so beautiful. I just had to giggle because it just popped up in my head all the moments in my past relationships where it was exactly this because like i was not aware it's like you know what i mean she doesn't trust me right now it's like you know like my whole world would shatter like what i've been loyal you know and like but no it's just understanding it's a, they, they feel it differently it's like this ying in that moment i don't trust you and then if i would learn if i know now what i like back then okay okay what can i do right now to make you feel safe mm. in a sense or like to regain the trust it's like exactly. understanding this energy is a moment it's just a moment we have different you know perceptions of trust mm. and this comes into my question it's like you know now that you coined, kind of like you name it the conscious masculine so what do you where do you see like the shortcomings in young men more generally men is it exactly this understanding of polarity or is it is there more to it as a man itself <laughs> perfect timing perfect for somebody timing, yeah. but i think that's exactly it. that that horn i think that's exactly it yeah it's this when i don't understand i lash out mm -hmm. and i think that's something that um so i'm a father and 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 you know when you start looking at parenting you start looking at what you pass on as a legacy how mm. do you pass on your own shortcomings and what you've learned yeah. and i think one of the, the things i've noticed with young men but also with young women is the impatience Mm -hmm. the sort of I want everything right now I don't want to go on a journey I want it every given to me on a silver plate right there ready and packaged and preferably short in bite-sized chunks um, when it comes down to polarity um, you can't explain polarity with words or concepts it's just a personal experience it's a feeling it's a feeling yeah. it's, it's a moment of really really internal experience of those two polarities and if we are not teaching those two polarities as being okay, um, there's two shortcomings that I've noticed, and this is very cultural specific. If you're in a culture that's like the Nordic culture, which essentially is very, very afraid of polarity, mm -hmm. so it regulates and in a way reduces polarity mm -hmm. between people, not just the gender polarity, but other polarities as well. Um, the, the, the problem with that is that we end up not having enough polarity, and polarity is kind of like the fuel, the electric tension that, Good, that, that gets people passionate and creative as well so one problem we have is that we just simply don't want the polarity and therefore we don't ever experience the benefits of it and that with young people is i've seen a lot of that um uh, there's there's movements towards just removing polarity mm -hmm. altogether like everything should be flat and equal actually the polarity is part of the joy mm -hmm. as long as it's respectful and it's like the harmonious dance it's a beautiful that you mentioned it because like not have been also <laughs> living across the globe and traveling as well, you suddenly like, you develop a sense of like what are the energies in each city and country. And besides that, I mean, I love Finland and Helsinki, but it's exactly that nowadays I feel like this, yeah, there's like this flattening of energy. There's like this missing, yeah, polarity, you not know, like contradiction sometimes. Mm. There's like almost too little chaos. And my question to you is like, if you think about how have you experienced this in terms of countries and cultures, where do you, have experienced more polarity mm. and we're less 
Well, this, this is kind of, as, as you were saying this, I was thinking back to when I first arrived in Finland. So I'm a drummer. I love <laughs> drumming, particularly samba and Afro rhythms, uh, which will be tonight's party as well. <laughs> um, and I came to Finland. I first thought, okay, I, I, samba schools, you know, they're basically drumming mostly and a lot of dancing. And I thought I'd come to Finland, check into the samba school as soon as I arrived to see if I can get space. Because in Paris or London, you have waiting lists. I arrived, I got an email back from the president. She's like, come tomorrow, we need more drummers. You know, it was immediately like positive response. So I jumped into the Samba school in Finland and realized that there was this underworld of hugely cultivated polarity. Okay. And it, what it looked like is essentially generally you had the guys drumming and the women were dancing. And the polarity was channeled into music, creative costume making, choreographies, dance. And what one would call the polarity in there would be so strong. Mm -hmm. And when I started talking to the women and the guys there, they were, the women were often saying that, you know, because there is such a lack of polarity in Finnish society, they were like really hungry for it. Mm -hmm. So they would cultivate it in the dance bubble of, you can also see that in couple dancing like salsa, um, where that polarity was cultivated in a safe space, in this case, in the samba bubble, underground in a cave um, in Helsinki. But it could be that what they were doing there is playing with the polarity like you would play with fire in a safe space. Mm -hmm. You have a fireplace, it's beautiful, exactly. otherwise it burns the whole forest. So I see polarity as fire. And yeah, there's places where that fire is out of control. So when there's too much polarity and that there are no social agreements around how that polarity is separate to gender, then you get domination and you get problems. But um, so th the question for me has always been, do I want to go to a culture that has regulated polarity like Finland that has almost pushed it down to almost no polarity but then the, you can play with it safely because mm -hmm. there's an inbuilt understanding mm -hmm. of trust and respect in Finnish society. Or do I want to go to places like Brazil or, you know, Latin America mm -hmm. or South of France, or whatever, where the polarity is stronger, but there's also not so much of an inbuilt self-respect and respect of our other in the culture mm -hmm. that allows for the safety of playing with it. So it's kind of an interesting one. I don't think there is an ideal place. but Yeah, the, no, the, definitely not. Yeah. I think this is like what I, the other day I talked to someone, it's like, you know, there's no good or bad city or place it's just like it's all about the energies mm. like what do you read right now what do you want right now and how are you comfortable playing with it yeah and um the other day i think you mentioned it so gita she lives in copenhagen and she does the same um working with women she told the exactly the same about nordic countries where it has become like kind of like almost a bit suffocated polarity why do you think this happened in the nordics do you have any idea or have you thought about it um I have actually, yeah. and um, I think if you if you Wikipedia search the law of Jante, J-A-N-T-E, mm -hmm. there's very interesting, it's, it's very few Finns even know about it, but it's one of the first thing I read as an anthropologist when I came to Finland to understand the Nordic culture, this idea that one should not think that we're better than anybody else, mm -hmm. one should not stick out, the idea of being equal, above equity. Mm -hmm. So placing mm -hmm. equality first, I think is smart in terms of society change. We first need equality before we can aspire to having equality plus equity of, of gender. And in that way, the Nord Could you just in that moment explain the difference between equality and equity? I There's think. this beautiful picture yeah. online that often people use, which is that, you know, if you look at a football match across a fence, the equality is that you give every person the box to stand on to see the, across the fence, but some people are big and some people are small and the small ones don't see and the big ones see even better. Um, equity is you give them what they need. Equality is you give them based on resources. Equity is based on needs. It's, so if we okay. think of uh, polarity, everybody has different needs with polarity. So equity of polarity would mean that 
Um, somebody who, who really needs strong polarity gets that, and somebody who doesn't, doesn't. Whereas equality of polarity is really what's happened, I think, in the Nordic cultures, is that out of a very strong value of collective equality, mm-hmm. plus the law of Yante in this backdrop of not wanting to be, some, some historians have told me that it's probably linked to scarcity of climate and harshness of resources, that if you show your neighbor that you've got more, they might come and steal it from you. Wow, yeah. But I don't know if that's true, if that's just anecdotal, because I've been to cultures with scarcity, like in Dubai, where the exact opposite cultural adaptation came, even though there was the scarcity, that where they become very, very generous and flamboyant because of the scarcity. Mm. So I don't think that holds, it's more of an anecdote that explains <laughs> it. But Coming back to the Nordics, I think there's there's three phases of polarity. There's the phase of what we are now in gen- general society, which is most people, which is they see polarity as a source of problem. So they connect polarity with, for example, domination and power and toxic power play. Mm-hmm. So they see that as a threat. So they want to reduce it and control it and r- r- mitigate it. Then there's another phase, which is where Finland, I think, is very much entering which is where you go, okay, well, let's, let's remove the polarity. Let's, let's take it away. Let's make everybody equal in every level. And then what happens is that you get this very peaceful, but also sometimes very unfulfilling relation dynamics where mm. it's very sort of, it's more like being in a monastery. It's very, very nice, but it doesn't fulfill certain needs for human interaction. It's very sort of peaceful. And I think the third phase is what we will be entering in in the 21st century in some advanced cultures where people have really done a lot of work on themselves is where they then come back and cultivate the polarity, but in a what I would call conscious way, meaning that it's respectful of one one's own needs, therefore equity-based, but also it allows for the polarity to not be confused with gender, with power, with status, with money, with religion, with all those very tricky mm-hmm, topics mm-hmm. that often people suddenly bulk into the topic of polarity. Wow. So then, how would you say what is the difference between conscious masculinity and toxic masculinity? If I had an answer to that, I wouldn't be hosting these <laughs> men's group to ask them the same question, would I? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm trying to understand that myself because I've been labeled as being identified as a man as toxic um, when I've been trying to be a kind person. Wow. You know, like if I if I think of um, multiple little episodes of daily life, like holding the door for somebody or explaining something that was something that was asked for, it, there's so many places which could be labeled as toxic. But mm-hmm. I think it, I think if if I don't look at it from my perspective, I look at it from the society perspective. Um, I think it's down to having a share of voice. Right now, we have to acknowledge that there is an unequal society. So before we even aspire to equity and advanced polarity practice, I think we need to also acknowledge that first and foremost, we're not in an equal society with regards to gender and access to money, access to job employment. And so that fundamental inequality is not affecting men versus women. It's affecting also, for example, men who don't have power versus men who do have the power. Mm -hmm. And not having a voice is then leading to all sorts of toxic behaviors. Like, like for example, to balance that I don't have a voice, if I'm not being heard, what am I going to do? I'm going to start generally shouting or becoming more violent. And I think the toxic part of masculinity uh, is when people are not being respected in their fundamental needs and they don't have the feeling of any choice. Mm-hmm. So then they start to display toxic behaviors, which are both self-destructive 
and violent towards others. Mm. Um, and I'm not just talking physical violence, I'm talking emotional violence, yep. like shouting. And I think the toxicity goes both ways. It's, it's, it's not a gender thing. I think there's also a lot of toxic femininity, mm -hmm. um, toxic humanity, if you like. So the opposite of toxic, I like to think of as, first of all, and this is going to sound perhaps quite, quite difficult to digest for some, but everybody has to own their needs. Mm -hmm. And by own, I mean take full responsibility of the needs they understand, but also the fact that there are needs that they don't understand. Mm -hmm. And it's on them. So if I have a need that I don't understand, I don't express, but then I feel bad, what's going to happen is that I start to display toxic behaviors. But, you know, working with conflict mediation and conflict transformation is literally most of the time the same problem from the start. If somebody has a need, they haven't identified it. Men are generally not very good at identifying their needs because mm -hmm. they have less introspection. They're often more outward focused. So they're not aware of their needs. Emotional needs don't even come into their radar. And therefore, instead of actually dealing with their needs and asking like, I need, I need affection right now. I need recognition. I need, I need to be reassured. Instead, they'll just be aggressive or toxic. Because like, it's, it's so beautiful because yeah, it's like this feeling I've, resonates with me because like in the past, it was like, yeah, I was very confused about my needs, but then you would like, it just bottle it up and you bottle it up and it's just like, ah, oh, something feels not right. And like, I feel annoyed and like, I don't like this person right now. Mm. But it was just me not understanding what are my needs, first of all. And that I also have, I wouldn't say right, but like, I, oh, it's my job to communicate the needs. And it's so important to set also emotional boundaries. You use the word boundary. Yes. There it is. <laughs> the word boundary. And it's, it's another aspect that is kind of, I think, connected to toxic mm -hmm. versus healthy um, masculinity, to use the word, but is being able to not just um, set boundaries, but communicate boundaries. Mm -hmm. Like very simple example, that if everybody in the world were to teach their children to set boundaries based on their needs, and, and every time the boundary is expressed, that the receiving answer is thank you mm. instead of sorry. Think about it. Like if you say, every time, if, if you say to me, look, um, as a dad to a child, um, mm, I, I don't want to play football today, dad. I'm tired. I'm really tired. My need is to rest. If the receiving answer from the dad is don't be a little, whatever yeah. he wants to label, um, that's going to create a feeling that first of all, my need is not okay to express. Secondly, it's not legitimate and it's not okay to, 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 to be fulfilled. And, and I certainly don't get the feeling that I'm, I'm, it's not thank you. It's, it's really something quite in a way violent that, mm -hmm. my, that I have to sort of force myself. So that over time, hundreds of thousands of reps means that we start to have this belief that expressing our needs is bad, disruptive for other people, even a nuisance in the Nordic countries. If mm -hmm. I say my needs, people think, oh, I don't want to be an interference or a nuisance. But if we start saying thank you, I've noticed this with some friends is um, when they say, um, oh, I can't come to the party tonight. I could just go, oh, <laughs> but if I say thank you for voicing your boundary, because it means I can trust you that mm -hmm. next time when you say yes, you have a genuine yes. Yeah, exactly. They go like, wow, I'd never have anybody say thank you for that, but that feels good. Yeah. And it's also like very close to honoring, fostering authentic authenticity in a sense, like if an authentic behavior is exactly what you just mentioned. It's like today, I don't feel like going somewhere. And you communicate this is like very authentic. It's like I don't want to go to a party and then like feel bad and like I you know destroy the mood. No, like hey, I can't come and like yeah, thank you, thank you for being authentic and telling me this. Exactly. 
And and then this whole mind games that we play, mm -hmm. you know, you, since we've worked together in, in the ex-edu bubble, I've done a lot of work on measuring communication. And the thing that surprised me most is that a lot of our communication is completely in our heads and fabricated. Mm -hmm. We think that we communicate with others. We don't. But most of the time, <laughs> it's all mental games and narratives yeah. that we build. Like the story I tell myself is not reality. Mm -hmm. It is just the story I tell myself. And in that story, there might be a lot of this complete guilt-based thinking that's got nothing to do. Mm -hmm. So being able to just express authentically what's going on and hear the other person's authentic response and not assuming without having checked what they mean, that they mean this, that, or the other, I think is also part of the opposite of being toxic. It's been like just holding space for what is factually evidence-based, mm -hmm. not what I think based on my past trauma and ego triggers is, is there. Absolutely. And I think oh, there's so much, and I think one, we also talked about prior this uh, hit record is the example you said about the father who would say to his son, like, you know, let's, don't be a whatever and just do it is we also have to go ask forgiveness in the name of our fathers because most of our fathers and i told you my experience at ayahuasca ceremony like my father didn't know his grandfather didn't know i mm. mean and the importance of bringing back some form of rituals but some form of initiation to help men understand those very fine methods of communication and understanding of polarity and I think, yeah, how can we do this? What is your take on that? I, I love that you're bringing this question because it, it takes us away from the past focus mm -hmm. of what was and brings us into the present future awareness of what could be. Because right now it's very easy to be quite dystopian, mm -hmm. quite negative and quite cynical about the world. Um, I recently read this book by Rutger Bregman uh, about humankind, which which kind of made me smile and feel very light about being a human again after reading so much of the news. And, um, and, and when I look at it from that perspective of, you know, being optimistic, and I think it takes courage and rebelliousness to be optimistic today. So let's be optimistic. Absolutely. And not think of the, how we could do minimum viable, but properly like optimistic. <laughs> um, and even if we were to think a thousand years into the future, not just seven generations. Um, first of all, the, the whole role of rituals or what we would call rites of passage is very well known in psychology. If you look at Ericksonian, mm -hmm. um, Eric Erickson, and what, what would probably be is that every society, depending on their culture, would have a set of adapted rites of passage, which are non-gendered, but they're very fundamental to what we need to develop in ourselves. Mm -hmm. So rather than it being a men's ritual or men's rite of passage, it would be like a growing up rite of passage. Mm -hmm. And we know from psychology what those might be, but I would I would see those as being collective rights which have been designed with the meaning very clearly in the center, with a very 21st century approach that is not based on the old values of the past. Mm -hmm. But for example, one of the values that we know is essential for humans is cultivating vulnerability. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It's harder perhaps for some gender, but it's definitely important for everybody. And being able to speak from the heart, mm -hmm. you know, and get out of the mind, mm -hmm. uh, being able to express joy. So I would take those fundamental human emotions and I would build them into rites of passage with all the current technology that we have. I mean, we have video game technology that is insanely beautiful. Why not use that for rites of passage instead of just entertainment and numbing? Mm -hmm. You know, we could do so much with AR, 
and augmented reality. Right? I mean, we could do like these augmented reality rites of passage where you you, you tackle your inner inner need for connection mm-hmm. by by gently bringing people to learn to connect in new ways. For example, mm-hmm. so. The, the, what we could do about it, I think, is take the design thinking approach that we know works for service design um, and apply that to human design in the sense of designing our constant growth purposefully and not by accident or because of a religious uh, or cultural tradition that might have had its role mm-hmm. but is right now outdated when we are global species. We are a global species with some very global problems we face. Absolutely. So I think there's a global need for, like, if I had an academy and an unlimited budget, <laughs> call to all the investors out there, I would build a, a, a new way of doing rites of passage which are universal mm-hmm. growing up. I mean, this is in a sense, I think you mentioned it a few times, if you like, what I found so fascinating in back in the days, the stories in Romans had like schools of philosophy and you know how to live a good life. And it was not just like I don't wanna talk down, but I think, you know, some philosophers at the university level is very academic and mm. you know, just mind mind level. But back then those people were just walk to talk and teach very strong principles how to actually live a mm. good life. Yeah. And I think I hear that what you just said is like, yeah, it would be beautiful to have some form where we could teach polarity and conscious masculinity, but also femininity. And I remember the workshop one week ago. You know, there's like actually very simple tools. One tool that you presented, like what one assignment is like presenting. What's the presenting? Presencing. Presencing, yeah. 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 It's just about the ability. And I think it's a very, it's a skill which you find rarely nowadays to really listen, to be able to listen. Just think about all the relationships out there where you can, where someone just listens what the other one says and receives. <laughs> I'm sensing into this, like if you had a ritual, um, one right that would be absolutely essential for every single human is not just learning to presence, but presence people who are of the most different opinion. Oh, yes. So like if I'm, for example, taking a bunch of dudes who want to be conscious men, I can just go and talk to other conscious men and we're going to presence each other, meaning that we listen without judgment and we hold the space and mm-hmm. let the conversation mm-hmm. go. It goes, I'm talking about presencing in the sense of how Otto Sharma and the presencing Institute in MIT coin it. So it's, it's quite well referenced. There's beautiful examples of presencing in the business world, but here let's say presencing in the relationship, presencing at home with your parents. So, you know, level of challenge is pretty easy when you go and presence a friend who's similar of similar thinking patterns, like you and I presence each mm-hmm. other, it would be walk in the park. But now if I go then and talk to one of the most hurt men that are wanting the gender divide to continue, mm. for example, an incel or a man who's been extremely violent with women, who, who has a lot of anger, um, how would I go and presence him? That's a real mm. practice because it doesn't mean, presencing doesn't mean judging or trying to convince no. them or change them. It just means holding space for that pain to help them also forgive parts that they need to forgive, move on and express their needs and move into a process of inner change, which is, by the way, a fundamental for all humans, is that we all are constantly changing. So somebody who's stuck in the past into their pain, presencing can be a very powerful unlocking. But if we learn the art of presencing, having that as a universal practice taught in schools for anybody, not just somebody who's studying therapy, um, but any human could learn presencing and then one of the rites of passage would be that you have to go and presence three people 
of whatever type to be able to go. And in fact, it reminds me of something we tested in Lithuania. It was in Lithuania a few years ago. I was invited to um, education ministry workshop. Wow. And they were saying, they were bringing all sorts of experts from very different fields. So I was brought in as a communication guy. And, and they were basically workshopping for three days with really different people from all over the world about how we might reform teacher training in Lithuania. And we started with present sync sessions. Wow. Like the whole of the workshop was about 40 people. We were in this beautiful forest venue and, and they put us in random pairs and we just walked in the forest and presenced each other. And life stories came and real like concrete things came from it. It was beautiful, really beautiful experience. But then from those presencing, we started the workshop. So we instead of started from the academic theoreticals, we started from practice, from reality. Mm -hmm. And what came out was part of the whole teacher training was going to be done using these ideas of presencing combined with what we call bubble traveling, which is traveling to different bubbles of mm -hmm. people where you're not usually in. Mm -hmm. So I could have a work bubble, a family bubble, a friend bubble. Out there, there's the sirens. That's the, the, probably the <laughs> you fire brigade. You might hear me, you might not. I don't know. <laughs> so, but there's, there's these bubbles. And when we go into the bubbles, our first reaction is, how is it different or similar to mine? Judgment. Mm -hmm. What presencing does is it invites to not be in that state of judgment. It's very refreshing because it's quite unusual. We spend our whole time judging. So presencing is basically being present, not on your phone, multitasking, but also non-judgmental. And that is extremely healing for oneself and for the other person who's being heard because essentially it goes back to the avatar, I see you, because when you're presencing somebody, even of a different opinion or religion or whatever, even if it's somebody you don't like, when you presence them, you're actually with your behavior saying, I see you. And this, yeah, I think this is kind of reminds me of, there was a beautiful quote by, um, I don't quote a video by, what's the name? It's martial art. Anyways, I was like this monk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there was he said, like, the beautiful thing is, like, what, what happens when people shout to each other? You know, even though they're very close to each other, this shouting means they're just, like, emotionally and, and like, spiritually just so far away. Mm. That's why they shout, because they don't presence each other anymore. They don't listen anymore. Yeah. That's why they shout. And I think that's, like, it gave me goosebumps. Because I just think about, like, a, a retreat or ritual where, think about, you invite, yeah, Uh, men and women, very different ones. And you just allow them to be present and let, let them be heard. Mm -hmm. And then based on this, you can like next step, build on it. I mean, this is, yeah. It, it, you know, it, in the last few years, I've been working a lot with both um, culture change in mm -hmm. companies, with diversity issues. Um, often it's the little things, it's the micro habits. Mm -hmm. So the micro habit of presencing somebody when there's a problem. If every single human was taught in school You know, they would, they would have a one-hour lecture in every school of the world. It was really short. One-hour lecture where they teach you how to presence. The, the rules are simple. Don't judge. Mm -hmm. Hold space. Let the person speak without them feeling interrupted or judged. And that's essentially it. I mean, exactly. and imagine that every single human were taught to presence and that every time something conflictual happens, the go-to reaction was not boundary defense or shouting, but it's first, okay, there's blame here. What's the need that you're not expressing? Mm -hmm. let's, let's just take a moment of presence to sense what that need is. And perhaps in many cases, that's enough for the person to jolt out of their anger or their conflict and go, yes, actually there is a need. And it's, oh, wow, 
it is okay for me to even have that need and mm -hmm. maybe even express it and why not even fulfill it? Mm -hmm. And then a lot of these problems that we actually create for ourselves would literally melt away. So a tiny, tiny compounded effect would be that if every single guy who's listening to this who says, oh, I want to be a conscious man, what does it mean? Okay, do I have to go and wield a sword and cross the ocean? No, just hold space for people without judgment and without wanting to fix people's problems. It's beautiful. I think it's like, just like his last, last thing about that is like, yeah, there's so often, yeah, we all know it. We tell someone a new idea or anything and just the first thing is just like instant advice, problem solving. And this is exactly the, what you should not do at that moment. Understand like this person is just expressing something. Mm. Allow the person to express it mm. and give the space. So, so if, where are you now in your journey with your, in, her, in this topic, with conscious masculinity, polarity? Um, what struggles do you try to identify or yeah, where, where are you at right now? Thank you for asking this. Um, well, last week I launched a group that mm -hmm. was going to be a men's group. And after several experiments, I found that actually it's going to be a mixed gender group. And what's going to happen in these groups is that we're going to be talking in the first season. Um, and I'm talking about seasons because there might be recordings of it or not. Let's see. <laughs> there might be a podcast coming out of this. But essentially, it's more of a, of a practice of conversation where needs are put on the table. Mm -hmm. And that group is going to be around the topics of intimacy, sexuality, relationship, and isolation, wow. which are topical after the COVID, COVID times. Um, so that's one thing that's happening at the moment is, is hosting these conversations. I'm going to be doing them on Sunday evenings at my place in a very sort of safe and cozy environment where there will be a very few number of rules, no judgment, tame your ego, and you know, rule of respect, say, say thank you when somebody places a boundary. Those very simple rules of behavior. That's, that's, I call that my dojo. It's like my space of practice where I can practice non-judgmental peace and presencing because I have a lot of baggage that are my own triggers that I have to bring forth. And um, But I think on, the, on, a, on a bigger perspective, this is like almost like a side project. In my work, what I'm really interested in right now is the blind spot that is between conflicts and creativity. Mm -hmm. People think of those two as different things, but they're essentially the two sides of the same coin. A conflict that people think of as bad is an unfulfilled need and an identification to that need and like an ego posture of like I am that need and and that becomes dysfunctional distrustful and and problematic and then a functional conflict also called creative conflict is when you don't take it personally and you don't focus on blame or self and ego but you focus on the problem to be solved mm -hmm. and the needs behind mm -hmm. that problem to be solved which is what any design thinking process is all about you just go from coining the problem as a how might we solve it and fulfill the needs and so i'm looking at that tension and i'm i'm at the moment really interested in working that with cultures mm -hmm. where there's you know we want more diversity in the workplace but at the same time if we don't have a forum to deal with these tensions we are squashing down both the negative conflicts mm, but also mm -hmm. the creativity goes down mm -hmm. the drain because it's the same energy of polarity that is just being channeled either one way or the other so currently my, my my sort of work mission if you like is to is to host conflict transformation processes not just with mm -hmm. companies but with governments because people are often thinking that you have to sort of remove all conflicts and then bring creativity it doesn't work like that you have a need so helping people to just be aware of their needs in the workplace and turn up and show up to those needs, express those needs bravely. Because it's one thing to say, I need more time. That's okay. 
OKRs, objectives and everything. But what if my need is to be seen in a different gender role? How does that need fit into the mm-hmm. company culture, for example, or you know, other, other needs that are not so politically accepted in the workplace? That's where it becomes interesting and problematic. So my mission right now is, is to bring this awareness of polarity and, and, and ego distancing into the workplace and into governments where people are getting really attached to their identities mm-hmm. and, and conflicting on the wrong topics. This reminds me of, I don't know, did you, did you mention this last week or was it someone in the circle who, something about actually the United Nations that actually, was it was you? Yes, mm-hmm. I thought so. It was like, would you like to tell this again? It was, I found it was like mind blowing. So it, the story came back from, um, so I, back in the days when I was working in 358, I had this, um, this wonderful uh, young woman called Sarah who was, who was an intern and she was really dedicated designer and, And at the time she was, she was starting off on her career. Now she's, she called me and she says, look, I'm, I'm going to be talking in the UN, talking about my startup. She's working with water and sustainability and it's a fantastic startup. And she's just been invited there to give a four minute talk on, on her field. And uh, we spent a long hour on the phone talking about uh, the human nature and the sustainability topics. And what, what came out is that, um, we talk about sustainability and we think of trees, mm-hmm. birds, and, and we look at beautiful nature and think nature is being damaged by the evil humans. And, and there's this like almost collective schizophrenia around we, 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 nature is beautiful, but human nature is not. Mm-hmm. There's this kind <laughs> yeah. of very interesting tension. <laughs> yeah. When in fact, uh, if you look at Rutger Bregman's work on humankind, we, we're actually not such a bad species. And in fact, Sarah was pointing out that uh, if you look at it from a historical perspective, some of the native native cultures see humans as a cornerstone species, which mm-hmm. means it's one of those species that that creates an ecosystem balance. Of course, it can also destroy the balance, as we well know. Um, but we also have a very positive role to play if we choose to. So rather than sort of beating ourselves you know, on the back and saying that we're bad species, we're evil, we're bad, and and then have a dark view of the human nature. I think first and foremost, we need to heal our human nature mm-hmm. before we do really some substantial work with harmonizing with the actual nature outside of ourselves, i.e. trees, water, and uh, ecosystem balances. Because if we are constantly looking at our human nature as being evil and bad, how does that affect on a systemic level our expression of needs. If I am bad, I don't feel legitimate in my needs. My need for breathing, my need for love mm-hmm. are somehow not legitimized if I see myself as bad. So I think there's a very, very big internal journey for, for our species right now that's being called for, thanks to COVID partly, mm-hmm. that a lot of people have been looking in the mirror and doing therapy. Like, well, yeah. And what is my human nature? Is my human nature to be a destroyer of the planet? Or is there something else that's perhaps more beautiful in there, more more waiting to, you know, come out. So I think the key came from that was that I said to Sada, what if you were to, to bring a message of optimism in mm-hmm. your speech rather than bring in the whole reinforcing the collective guilt of being a bad species that's messed up the planet? What if we were to actually start to bring gratitude, um, hope, mm-hmm. positivity about our human nature Absolutely. and harmonize that nature <laughs> yes. with the trees, you know? I so agree with you because I, I have actually... But uh, it, it triggers me, but also not, I would say would say the word trigger is wrong. But I think when people say that's like this saying, like, ah, oh, humans are like, you know, like a virus, you know, it's like, you're missing the point here. Like, we are as part of nature, we are a 
byproduct of nature. Wherever we are right now, it's all part of this direction we're going to. Mm -hmm. And if we would zoom out just a little bit, and I would say like a little bit, hundred thousands of years, two hundred thousand years, we would actually see like a beautiful stream of creation. Yes, there's also like uh, death and horrible things and destruction. But we maybe have to be honest to ourselves and acknowledge that this is part of nature. Mm. This both, as you said, this balance between destruction and hope and creation, it's just part of it. And it's not the human nature that's bad, not at all. And I think we always have a choice to... What, char what character, do, character do we form? Is it a character that does good and tries to raise prosperity or is it the character that destroys mm. and that's a choice i think and i think if, if, if we come back to the really practical mm -hmm. level of example you and i have differences yeah. so whatever differences we choose to focus on let's say that you, we take the, the nationality difference so you're you grew up in austria so you have a cultural tension with me who grew up in france denmark and england okay so there's a tension there now that tension is showing like a flag a different need that we might have. You might have a need for what you grew up with as your comfort zone, and I might have a need for what I grew up with as my comfort zone. Um, that tension between the two needs is often what we focus on. We focus on that, and we start say, seeing that as a problem to be mm -hmm. fixed. But if we think of the, the systemic problem of society and nature as a series of tensions between people, you could also rethink of the tension as a guitar string. The musical, the musical metaphor is beautiful here, is that we have a lot to learn, I think, from music. Um, as a species because mm -hmm. when you have a tension with one string and another string in the guitar those different strings don't have to be competing or in a conflict mm -hmm. they can also just be all playing together when exactly. they're tuned in a harmonious so if if we now start to think of the environmental problems as one gigantic harmony that we need to sort of play into rather than a series of small problems to be fixed independently which is what a lot of experts and scientists are doing they break the problems down into small boxes the very cartesian approach it doesn't work the systemic problems need to be solved in one whole systemic level and the metaphor of music then i think comes really handy because you know you don't solve a harmony by having each instrument play separately um, you solve the harmony by getting everybody to learn how to listen to self <laughs> mm -hmm. listen to other and listen mm -hmm. to the common harmony in three levels of simultaneous listening so that's a skill, by the way, like presencing yep. that is not taught is, is advanced listening. Musicians know that. But most people, they go like, I can't listen to me and you and the common output. That's too many levels of listening. But actually, that's essentially what's required of us as a species. And this is just, again, nails it so much. I think what you often hear in Eastern philosophies and spiritualism, spiritualisms, <laughs> we heard it correctly, Yes, <laughs> is the notion of living in accordance with nature. I've mentioned this in previous episodes. But when you really boil it down, it's exactly what you just mentioned. It's first, to be able to live in accordance with your nature. What's your synchronicity? Once you have found that, you can live in accordance with other people's nature. Mm. And then one step further, with nature it's itself, the universe. Mm. And it starts by listening first to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why it's sometimes very helpful. I think, um, you know, coming back to the topic of the men's group mm -hmm. or the masculine group, conscious masculinity exploration is that there is, I think, a space for men to gather and, and just stay within mm -hmm. men's group where they can have the space to listen to their own internal shits. Yes. <laughs> Essentially. Yes. Like for example, uh, one of the trends is that men often find it very difficult, not just to express anger because they feel that they're afraid of their own aggression, but most 
surprisingly, is the joy. Mm -hmm. There's a huge problem with being able to express joy, which you see on the dance floor. I can't possibly be joyful. I'm going to feel like an idiot. Um, Actually, it's a fear of that joy because there's something underneath that. Now, that might be quite a gender-specific thing. It could also be a cultural-specific thing. But having the safety of a group of friends who have a space of no judgment allows one to listen. It's like being with others who are listening to themselves helps you to listen to yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a role for friendly conversations in presencing, groups of people in circles, but also individual introspection and journaling where like with your work with, with Lumians, like how to actually really know yourself, mm-hmm. listen to yourself, hear yourself. And this, by the way, we already had one hour, seven minutes. <laughs> it's like, wow, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, yeah, actually one, one, one thing that really caught me off guard or like really caught off surprise was with the men's group that there was a need or like there was a, some expressed that had difficulties forming relationship with men, which for me was completely of like, wow, I never thought of it. It's like for me, if maybe I thought like maybe the difficulties, maybe conscious masculinity is more about difficulties having forming relationship, healthy relationships with women, but it's actually forming healthy relationships with men, which makes sense because Many I've I've met quite a few and that there's sometimes yeah they just have troubles speaking from their heart. It's very much like sports, politics. What did you buy? What car do you have? Mm. It's very like surface level. Mm. It's a role. It's performing what you said. Yeah. So I get it that actually many men would like to have like this deep feminine energy expressed. Mm. Yeah. And by the way, you know that's where I think we get we get stuck into semantics because. Mm-hmm. Um, expressing feelings Mm -hmm. is by no mean either gender. Yeah. So if we take the polarity words, yin and yang, the yin is in a state of present. Mm -hmm. Yang is in a state of past future. Mm -hmm. So uh, if if I have those different levels, um, if I'm, if I'm in um, expressing of emotion, I can express it in a yin way. I can express it in a yang way. Um, if I'm, let's say I'm in a, in a yang way, I might just say, I have a need for freedom and, and peace. I, I need, I need some time for, I need some me time. I need, mm-hmm. I need to set a boundary where I need two hours with myself without having to justify that it's time for me to just listen to myself. That's a need. That's a boundary that a lot of men find difficult to express when they have families. So I need me time. That expression of feeling could come in a very gentle, no. I need, you know, just kind boundary. But it could also come as a very slight, no, I need nine, shout, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that is nothing to do with gender. That is to do with how I'm comfortable expressing my feelings. We got, but in the yin polarity, that expression will sound different. In a yin polarity, it comes out often in a more internal focus of, I don't feel, I'm not sure, there's a bit more chaos, I don't know what I want, there's like, I'm undecided, I don't want to make a decision. In the yang sense, I'm clear, I have crystal vision, I know what I want. Mm -hmm. So the problem is that when we start gendering emotions, for example, joy, anger, sadness, we get all sorts of twisted things, like men generally express anger, women express sadness, or men find it difficult to express joy, and women find it difficult to, whatever. And those, I think, not helping us, actually, that every human has all the panel of emotions, Mm -hmm. but we, out of gendering, have been habituated Mm. to pay attention 
and to value those feelings differently. For example, every emotion has its benefit. Anger, the, the good side of anger is creativity, according to the Asian uh, philosophies, if you take the five elements. So, you know, if you know that there's a feeling, you can use the feeling and say, okay, flag, it's a flag for a need. It's a need for creativity. I have anger right now. There's a part of me that feels anger. So we talked earlier about ego. Mm-hmm. I, I only know right now of two really solid practices for separating from ego, like on a really practical level. One is humor, self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm. The humor of laughing at oneself honestly, not laughing at others. So I can detach myself from who I am. The other is saying when your head, in your story that you tell yourself, a part of you is feeling this need, mm-hmm. not me. So it's a very tiny difference between saying I am angry, there's a part of me that has anger or there's there's a part of me that is angry because that separation from the whole and the part means that i suddenly can do something about it that's that's a huge difference in terms of expressive emotion so for example if i'm expressing an emotion to my partner and i'm saying i'm angry i'm literally trapped because i am identifying to the anger but if i say there's a part of me that's angry because that part of me was needing to have me time we can both step back from our egos and look at it objectively and go, well, how might we create more space for that boundary to be set? And how Mm -hmm. might we find space for you to have more me time while I can do something else that is also fulfilling my needs? Beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Beautiful, (laughs) Sef. We're coming to an end, Sef. Before we end, was there a question you wanted to ask me? You sure you want this question? Uh, Because you know me. You want Uh, want me to ask you a question. uh, Yes. Um, Wait, I need to... When you ask, I need to play the chimes. The only time I'm allowed to do it. First of all, I give you a choice. Okay. Do you want an easy or a difficult question? Oh, no. You you choose. (laughs) choose. (laughs) Is it completely up to me? Yes. Okay. I give you the role to lead in this. Oh, I did the sound. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) a joker question (laughs) so the joker question for you Gerhard is what is it that you still have yet to forgive yourself Hmm. oh yeah that's maybe it start with uh, just a few months because like a few months ago I forgave myself in Failing to lead in a relationship, but also in a professional life. This is just very recent. And it, I think the healing took four years. And the second thing, maybe I need to... Hmm. Yeah, I think the second thing is very much about aligned, about expressing needs. It's not being able to recognize that I had needs I was not able to express, which were very negative in many relationships. And I remember these moments very deeply. It's like, you know, like I become very silent, you know, at, you know, is it like itchy? Like you're like, you know, like, I know, very easy to trigger. And I always, I didn't know what was going on. But I would bottle it up and then like, yeah, 
not shout, but like in a raised voice would sometimes like express certain things. And I just didn't know. And I think previous episode, now I know in a sense, and mm-hmm. I need to just forgive myself. It's, it's okay. And I also need to forgive my dad because I, often I, I blamed my father to not be the father figure, like this dreamlike father figure everyone looks at. And, but nowadays, I mean, yeah, in this sense, I completely forgive him. And because he didn't know either, knowing how he grew up, I was like, how should he, should have known? I mean, he grew up with a father who was a Nazi, you Mm. know? And yeah, this is how I will forgive myself for this. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. I got you the difficult question there. (laughs) It was a beautiful question. (laughs) It was a pleasure. Like, I think we could have talked two hours more. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. And um, yeah, we're going to end this now and I'm going to join you in a few hours to your birthday party. Some Afro music Afro coming music. Up. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. Esef, it was an absolute pleasure and I'm, I have a feeling it's not going to be the last one. I'm going to invite you. There's Thank so you. much to learn from you. And yeah, I told you in a few messages, I'm so excited to what you're going to do next. There's so much good and just like, you know, like all the things you have in store and the methods, just simple methods can make a huge difference and I think people need to get them people need to know about them and you have it all as Dev <laughs> so thank, thank you, you for inviting me and thank you for the space that we can talk in a very sort of open and reflective way as well it's a pre- it's a precious occurrence that these days with all the running and f- and you know rush that we have in society and social media it's a real privilege to have this thank you all right see you <laughs> <laughs>